0: Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we behead a dishonorable samurai three keep two dice at a time. I'm Jeff, joined as always by my co-host John, and this week's guest host, Brian, and we're discussing an early edition of the 1996 John wick penned samurai slasher, Legend of the Five Rings. Fair warning, everyone here sort of liked this game, so this one may be low on disrespectful vitriol. welcome back. John, how you doing today? Doing good. Doing real good. We've got our uh, traditional rum and cokes and a single floating raw cranberry in them. Oh yeah, that, that makes it festive. That's holiday. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we've got our guest host today, Brian. How you doing? Hey. Uh, Brian's an old friend from way back. He has a rich trove of interesting games for us to dive into and review, so...
1: Yeah, I stole Legend of the Five Rings from him.
0: <laughs> All right. Legend of the Five Rings is the game of the week, and uh, it is... It is the game of the wick. <laughs> <That's>
1: the, uh, <laughs> John Wick, yeah. John
0: yeah. Wick. We're going to talk about him later. You're fired. <laughs> Legend, Legend of the Five Rings is a, uh, it's basically set in a Japan that's the size of China and has some monsters nearby.
1: It is your your standard fantasy Europe game, which is just like, it's all European countries, this is basically like, we just have fantasy Asia, and it's kind of basically Japan, but also anything else you want.
0: Absolutely. It's it's a game that tries to play off the kind of Edo period of Japan's set of rules for samurai and lesser people, and everyone uh, lives around the emperor, and, and everyone follows a really strict and rigorous chain of command. Yeah. And so that means that the game actually has two character classes, which is is interesting. You can play as a samurai or is a Shugenja, which is a spell samurai.
1: Well, you're you're actually a a Bushi and a Shugenja. Everyone's a samurai.
0: Oh, right. I'm sorry. I forgot. You're either a Bushi or a Shugenja. How 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 dare dare you
1: besmirch glorious Nippon? Do
0: I have to kill myself already? (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This game uses a really unique system for uh, for dice management, and uh, I've read through it once, but the other guys here have actually played the game, so I'm going to ask... I'm going to say Brian to explain the basics of the dice math for this game and how it works. Sure. So,
2: it's a D10-based game, but you know those of you who might be familiar with other D10-based games, especially World of Darkness, this is a little bit different. Uh, we're not dealing on a success system. Instead, it's really a, it's your standard difficulty or target number. So, you get to roll a certain number of dice, you add them up. If you meet the target number, your action is successful. That's the basics. Where it gets interesting is in a few of the other levers that they have here to play with the math. The basic mechanics here are that the number of dice you roll and the number of dice you count are not the same. The nomenclature is basically X, K, Y. Uh, so if you're doing an action, you might roll six dice, but you get to keep, let's say, three. So you'd roll six dice, see you know what they come up with, and then pick out the three best ones, add them up, If you make your target number, you succeed. There are a number of ways that you can play with this, but right off the bat it adds an interesting element when you're dealing with characters and character growth. So, you know, obviously adding more dice increases your chances of rolling high results on any given die. You get to add up higher numbers. But at some point you're going to hit a ceiling there, and you're really not going to start raising the ceiling on, you know, the difficulty of tasks you can do or the level of your successes, unless you can start adding dice that you keep. And that's generally a lot harder. So right there, you know, it, it's it's it got a neat twist on it, and that gets more interesting when you start taking into account the
1: raise mechanic. Yeah, and the, the whole system feels very... I mean, even just character creation is also very... Reminiscent of, say, World of Darkness or anything like that. You've got sort of the standard stats, and you've got the 1 to 5, which is one of the big things. Right. Uh, but in this game, you also have meta stats outside of your standard statistics.
0: Now, when you say it's got the 1 to 5, you mean those are kind of the generic statistics, like, like well, yeah. say, the White Wolf style of statistics? Yeah,
1: your stats and abilities,
0: your attributes' abilities,
1: will go from 1 to 5. Okay. So, you know, 1 being you're kind of crappy at this, and 5 being you're
0: awesome. And I'm assuming that they, even though there's a 1 to 5 system, samurai are expected to have a bare minimum of something in each one of their... Um, well, everybody starts with mm-hmm. a, with 2. You're expected, okay. to,
2: you're expected to be competent, and two is basically the human average.
1: Yeah, if you're a samurai, you're generally not going to be bad at anything, uh, as far as stat-wise
0: goes. Yeah, and they expect certain skills from you as well. I'm sorry, though, you were talking about metastats, please. Well, yeah, they.
1: Uh, so you'll have your, your generic stuff, you've got your agility, your intelligence, your strength, your stamina, you know, the, the stats that you're all used to. Uh, but each one of them are divided into five rings. Mm-hmm. The legend of these five rings, uh, and so you've got two stats that aren't tied together. So you might have, say, intelligence and
0: agility. That's fire, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so again, these rings are basically the traditional Western elements, and then they added void. Yeah.
2: And well, it, it's really the the core or the the thematic baseline for the the setting. It really. Takes as its its sort of background two core texts. One of them is Sun Tzu's Art of War, which many of the listeners will be familiar with, and the other one is Miyamoto Musashi's text, A Book of Five Rings. And in the Book of Five Rings, he pretty much covers a, a very broad Eastern style philosophy that takes the four Western style elements and then adds the fifth,
0: um, and the fifth one is void. So void being kind of a combination. Uh, in, in the game, whenever you have to make a roll for a, a specific effect, the game will ask you to make a fire check, or an earth roll, or something like that. Like, for example, to lift something might be an earth check. Uh, void is generally considered to be using all of the other elements at the same time. Well, and,
2: that and also the possibility of sort of stillness. the yes. The idea of... Emptying oneself
1: of outside distractions. Meditation, for example. Yeah, meditation. Is, yeah. So th- that kind of gives and you it a. It also idea. ties into the magic in the system, is yes. very heavily into the void. Now, now, now we'll, the, the metastats themselves, uh, you'll have a rating in them just like you have a rating in your uh, normal stats, but they are limited to. They will be as high as your lowest rating in that. So let's mm-hmm. say intelligence, agility is in fire. Even if you've got a five intelligence, you are real smart. If you've got a two agility, you've got a two
0: in your fire because it's only as good as your weakest point in that ring. Right. So that generally encourages players to play average and not try. To, if you want to have a five in a stat, you really want, have to want to because you're going to need to invest the equivalent of 10 points in it. You're going to need to get both of those numbers up. I was going to say, the only other thing I remember from Void specifically is that it's used as the measurement for tea ceremony capability. Well,
2: it actually does yeah. it does do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff, too, but that was it, the one that stuck out for me. There, there are two real things that every character cares about when you're talking Void. And this this goes back to something that I had mentioned a few minutes ago, which is the Raise system. The Raze system is basically, you might think of it in, in another game, it might be called Called Shots. But it's generally not as broad or robust as it is in Legend of the Five Rings. The basic idea of a raise system is that if you, get, if you want to take an action, you say, I want to you know, cast a spell, or make an attack roll, or ride a horse, or do whatever, and it's fairly challenging. You'll say to the storyteller, I want to do this, and he'll quote you a target number. This is the difficulty. At that point, most games will just say, roll your dice and see if you succeed. In L5R, you've got another step, which is the player can say, I want to raise. Raising lets you voluntarily increase the difficulty of the task in increments of 5, so you make it harder on yourself. But if you succeed, it increases the margin of success. So you, you make it more awesome. Yeah, you don't just do it passively; You do it amazingly. So if you attack, you can raise multiple times to increase damage. You can you know, do it to do it particularly stylishly. Mm-hmm. You can also, if If you're playing in a way or you, uh, you know, describe the scene in a way that everyone really appreciates at the table, the storyteller can award you free raises, which are basically the benefit of a raise without paying the target number cost.
0: A stunt mechanic.
2: Yeah. Essentially, before stunting was really, you know, a thing, that's what they were doing here. Now, the void ring comes in here because you can't raise more times than your void rating.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you've got a void rating and, you know, you start out at two and you just leave it there, you're never going to be able to be super impressive to people. Like, you can raise a couple times and that's great, but if a guy's got, like, a void of four and he gets, he has some skill or whatever that he's amazing at and he raises four times, everyone's gonna, and he succeeds, someone's gonna look at him doing that and going, holy shit, that guy is insane. How is he able to do that? And uh, so your void lets you play with the system a little more And use void points to try and uh, get more successes,
2: keep more dice Right, and this is the other selling point of void Is that you have a number of void points to spend in a game or a story uh, Equal to your void rating And spending a void point lets you add a die that you not only roll But you also keep So it lets you shift the math curve again so if you've got a high void, you you know it's a kind of meta stat. You'd be as good as anybody else most of the time, but when you really want to turn it up, you you know yours goes to eleven.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, so the other interesting thing with this is just I mean, still staying stat wise, starting characters don't get to be amazing. Starting characters nice. are capped at four. You do not get to get to a five. As a starting guy, they do not want you to go, oh yeah, I am the smartest dude in the world, or I am the most agile man ever. No, man, you're a starting character. Build up to it. Build a reputation.
0: And that's... that's Become uh,
1: Hercules. Don't just start as Hercules.
0: That's a standard issue with point-by-based games. You know, with Exalted, for example, or with White Wolf, it's really easy to take point-by to its logical extreme and go, all right, well, if it, all it does is cost me points to get to Celerity 5, then fuck, I'm going to Celerity 5. I don't care. The, uh, it, well, it's
1: especially in a scaling cost game where you can start with flat cost. Mm-hmm. It's always, mathematically speaking, going to be cheaper in the long run to just start really good at something and then branch out
0: from there. Well, this there. this game solves the whole problem by just doing a hard cap. It says if you're a starting character, you can't get above this X value of stats. So your character is a samurai. He is maybe a samurai of some note. But he is not the big guy. He's not Miyamoto, Miyamoto Musashi, the no. one samurai in the world anyone's ever heard of.
1: And you've, you've got that cap on not just abilities, or not just attributes, you've also got it on abilities. Mm-hmm. So not only are you not the strongest dude ever, you're not the best swordsman ever.
0: One of the things I'd like to talk about here is that it's, it's there's a whole set of abilities in this book that are considered low abilities mm-hmm. and oh, the yeah. ca- character shouldn't have them. I mean, you can have them, but well, but damn no, no yeah. one should see you doing them. Well, yeah, well. people will make fun of you if
1: you're doing that. Cause they're like, that's below your station. If someone sees you gambling and you're supposed to be a noble samurai, they're like, what are you fucking doing? Well, it doesn't just go in that. Some really useful skills, like
2: stealth, is considered a low skill. Yeah, no hiding if you're a samurai. Oh, you coward. No, you shouldn't, yeah, you shouldn't be, if you're doing that, and you're seen doing that by people who are, you know, people, not Eta. Yeah. Uh, they, they're like, wait, but you're a samurai. You're one of the aristocracy. Why are you skulking around you like a thief? You would only do that thief? if you were doing something wrong. So... Mm-hmm. You know they don't even have to wait to find out. There's proof that you were up to no good. Just the fact that you were using that skill, that you know how to sneak <laughs> around, is evidence that you're not a
1: respectable individual. And there's also a sort of another couple meta stats you've got: glory, mm-hmm. uh, and you can earn glory, and glory is not only how like people see you and your glory in the empire but also what's expected of you as well if you're high glory people expect you to be a paragon of being a samurai in the empire if you're low glory people assume you're low glory because you're some schmuck and if you act like a schmuck people are like well yeah of course he's some schmuck
2: well you once you've made a name for yourself they expect you to live up to that name they expect you to continue doing great things to represent your house to make waves if you're some schmuck They don't really have expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if your
0: glory rating
1: is one, everyone's like, whatever, that guy's some
0: jaguar. So let's just get through the basics of what makes a character in this game. You've got your five rings, which Mm -hmm. each include two stats. You've got your choice of being either a a bushi, a samurai, or a shugenja, which basically means a a fighting guy or or a a spellcasting guy. guy. Mm -hmm. Then you have some abilities you get to pick. Then you have your substats that come through. And then you also have to choose your... Uh, Family, your clan, your clan faction. Now this game, this is one of the things that made it hardest for me to read this game is because of how silly it kind of seems when they write the metafiction in here. Yeah, Clans (laughs) are (laughs) basically all animal affiliated. So you've got scorpions and crabs and cranes and lions and unicorns and and so on. And and, uh, all of the metafiction in here is all these characters just kind of describing broad stereotypes associated with these clans. They're like, well, Lion will always beat Unicorn because Unicorn falls for Crane's scorpion treachery. And it's, it's like, well, okay, I I understand that you want to sound like folklore, but you sound too much like folklore. Um, it's, But on the other hand, in the actual play, I don't think this would come up as much. I don't think it would be as big of a deal. Well, really, more than...
1: Deciding to be a bushi or shugenja, you choose your the clan is really your class. Yeah,
0: the clan is is is, because each one of them represents a different aspect of of samurai life. So, for example, a unicorn uh, is a writer. A unicorn is a writer and also is someone who has encountered people from horrible Western society.
1: Yeah, you are. You've got more
0: experience
1: with outsiders, and they're generally known for being. Wealthy and for having horses. Right. That's one of the big things: is they have horses, and that's amazing.
0: And cranes are known for ei jutsu, which is the the art of drawing a, a uh, katana at the same moment that you strike with it. Well, so it's basically, a formalized dueling. Yeah, yeah. So so they're they're particularly graceful. They're particularly fast. Dragons are known for fighting with both of their their uh, ceremonial swords at the same time. They have their katana and their wakazashi out, and they fight with it that way, the the musashi style. So each clan has this kind of style to it that kind of defines what you are. The game says that it's okay to play a multi-clan game, to have a scorpion hanging out with a lion hanging out with a dragon, but then it strongly encourages you not to do that.
1: Yeah. They... <laughs> Which makes sense. <laughs> and it's, it's weird because, I mean, most other games, when you look at something like... You know, you look at your D&D or whatnot, your standard class-based games, they really want you to not be all the same thing. If you have a game and it's, what is it, five rogues, okay, well, this is fucking boring. And you don't have the ability to cover as much as you would want to. Uh, here you can have, we've got five dudes that are from the Crab Clan. Alright, you can, you're all gonna have... That might actually be a stronger story... Then trying to do a mixed yeah. clan game. In You're fact, gonna have a lot ties to guys. each other, to each other's families. You're gonna want the best for your other each people. Each other, yeah, absolutely. One of the Or some crab things about? guy who's like, I'm with a scorpion goes, I don't trust that guy. Oh, that's and the fuck fuck that worst. Guy.
0: Oh, I hate that. I hate, okay. Scorpions are in this game. Scorpions are basically the trickster class who has dirt on everybody. And, <laughs> and, it's so annoying. I know that Brian's gonna tell me that they're awesome. And that's <laughs> fun. But it's so annoying to have a class that everyone hates but trusts anyway, cause that's kind of the, you know, in Dungeons and Dragons, whenever they put in like a gypsy or something, when they put those in the game, and they say like, "Okay, gypsies, these guys steal things from people. Let them in your party," and everyone goes, "No, <laughs> that's what scorpions are. Scorpions have enough dirt on everyone that they can force everyone to put up with them, even though they're thieving, lying douchebags."
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's. <laughs> and now, know go that, ahead, correct me. <laughs> actually, the first thing I'm going to say is that is a totally valid complaint. <laughs> 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 um, I, but to to sort of add to this, it's. The the thing about uh, clan and faction in in L five R really is that it's it's deeply embedded into the structure of the setting. It's not just that every faction or every clan has its own characteristics; it's that every one of them is supposed to have a function in the empire as a whole. So the Crane aren't just known for being great duelists and you know graceful and you know polite and influential. Mm-hmm. They also serve the function of running the political arena and the econo- the economy of the empire. The the dragon family are like keepers of secrets. The yeah, they're mystery dudes in the mountains. The scorpions are the secret police. Yeah. Everybody hates the NSA, but you need them. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, no, it's totally realistic to say having a scorpion in the party, nobody else trusts him. Hell, other scorpions probably don't trust each other. But there's that tension is actually intended, and it can be difficult to get past, but it can add to the game. It's possible, although it takes a lot of creativity, (laughs) to have a game where you've got people from different factions, and they look at each other and go, we're willing to see past the clan differences to work towards some shared goal. The hard part is finding that shared goal, and it's usually a lot easier to just start with characters from one clan. And each clan is deep enough in terms of its capabilities and its goals and agendas, to support a full
1: group
0: themselves. Each clan has at least three families. I was going to say, each
1: clan has three families you can be from, and each family gives you a different bonus. And then, so depending on what clan you are, then what family you are, and then if you are a Bushi or a Shugenja, you'll get these different bonuses. Right, And And you can take it super focused. Like, if you want to be a crab clan guy from the family that's all about being strong, you can just start without putting any points at a four strength right off the bat. And it really helps... It gives you some extra bonuses depending on what you want to be and makes your character the flavor of whatever you wanted it to be without having to spend all your points on it. It strongly
2: emphasizes that those stereotypes do have some basis in fact. They're they're not absolute, but there's a reason why everybody thinks crabs are big and dumb and brutish and don't know their way around court. Because frankly, most of them don't. But you can play against Yeah,
1: because the crab family and the crab clan, they don't need to be in court. They're They're expected not to, so the fact that they don't know about court Makes sense, and
0: the reason the crabs don't know about court is a great way to segue into talking about what the enemies in this game are. The crabs right. are the defenders of the wall. If you're familiar with uh, that whole storyline, um, <laughs> in this case, you the think cra- Game of Thrones, Thrones but instead of White Walkers, it's, it's Japanese random demons, onis and stuff. Yeah, so they they defend the portal or the gateways and the uh, borderlands to the Shadowlands, which is where every Japanese demon you've ever heard of lives. Yep. So there's all oni and anything that looks like it's got a, a mask on, but that's actually its gross face. That's, that's what's there.
1: You know, if the top of his head is cut off and there's water in there and a cucumber. They're probably yeah. going to beat it
0: up. If it's half a guy, then yeah, that's, that's in there. That, that's the Shadowlands. And the crab, uh, family is expected to defend the borders of the Shadowlands. Yeah. So they keep people out. That's, Kind of your bad guy MacGuffin in this game is the Shadowlands. Otherwise, it's all interfamily intrigue. It's a bunch of stuff where, and, and again, I, I'm going to go back to the metafiction in this book. There's a lot of stuff where, like, there'll be a, big, a really cool war where a lion guy goads a crane guy into a big fight, and then randomly the lion guy just dies, and some person watching the sidelines goes, "Ha, scorpion trickery." It's like, well, okay, if it's that obvious, then the scorpions fucking suck. They, huh, like, huh. if any time anyone dies randomly, it's a scorpion, you know that it's scorpions doing that. And so, again, that's just bad fiction. I think in, in gameplay, it would work amazingly. Well, the the whole point is, in gameplay,
1: you'd be able to be like, okay, I do this thing, I engineer a situation, I'm playing a scorpion, I have some poison on a blade when it was supposed to be just a, wo- a duel to wound, mm-hmm. and he dies, and the problem is, if you get away with it, someone can go, scorpion treachery, Yeah, no, I would never do this, but... No one knows. Someone yeah. can say that the, you go, the maybe this crane put poison on his blade because he th-
0: knew yeah. everyone
1: would think it was a scorpion. The,
0: the fiction in the game is, in the book is somewhat lacking, but that doesn't have anything to do with the gameplay, which I, I feel I've never played this game, but I feel like the gameplay would be awesome. At, this, at the same to- time, not just a dump on scorpions, that storyline features a uh, crane samurai goading a lion samurai into a personal duel. Uh, he's a way better duelist, and he just does it by going, well, you're probably a coward, and the lion samurai's like, well, fuck you then! Let's, let's, and it's like, well, okay, if that works every single time, then I feel like eventually the guy in charge of the, of the lion family will be like, look, stop dueling crane dudes. It's, it's a law. I'm putting it in place now. You're not allowed to do it because they trick you dumb fucks every time.
2: Well, it doesn't happen all the time, and, and I think in this case, you know, it, the fiction is designed really for players new to the setting. It's teaching it, you how to it's, play. It's setting tone. Yeah, and it does a pretty good job of setting tone.
1: Also, broad stereotypes. Yeah, a lot of broad stereotypes, which is all right.
2: It's all right. right.
0: It's
1: a... And you're
2: you're right. In having actually played for quite a while, uh, <laughs> this game, it, you know, it's. It, it is actually a lot of fun. It works extremely well, um, which is not to say that it is, you know, perfect by any stretch. There no are game definite has. weaknesses in the game and the setting, uh, and those do become apparent as you play it, but, mm-hmm. you know, in at least on a superficial level, or even, you know, really once you drill down a little bit, there's a lot here that's worth recommending. Oh,
0: absolutely. I, I mean, this game... I think all three of us agree that we really enjoy this game and would look forward to playing it. Uh, now, is this a first edition? Is there another edition of this? This is out a there? first
2: edition. As far as I know, they're up to the third edition now, and that actually still is in print. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I hope, I'm not familiar with any of the later editions, I hope that they refined the mechanics in later editions, because... This was a sound basis, but they definitely had some polish that they needed to get. Absolutely.
0: It. Now, we, we basically all agree. I mean, all we do here is dump on old role-playing games. So that's, <laughs> that, that's kind of the, the, uh, the raison d'etre of this podcast. Um, this game, absolutely fantastic. Uh, nothing is perfect except for riffs. We all, we all, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I <laughs> think we can all agree that no wrong. game is as good as riffs. <laughs> all right. So, uh, once you get your clan and your, uh, your, your kind of, are you a spell guy or a sword guy selected? Then you get to also pick benefits and disadvantages. Now it's it's got the merits and it's flaws. Merits system. and flaws, yeah. So we all know Jeff hates merits and flaws. I, honestly, I feel like these are I I always whenever I find a merits and flaws system in a book, I immediately pick through it to find the dumb ones. And this book has a lot less dumb ones than most. Uh, well, generally... there's a, a lot fewer traps and a lot fewer obvious
1: non-choices. Right, ones well, like, where you have to is, take them. Well, this is a flaw that gives me a point, but it doesn't do
0: anything bad. Well, one of the big problems you encounter, especially in White Wolf merit flaw systems, is uh, merits that are flaws... Like, uh, for example, since most of the white wolf ones are done based on a scaling system, like you can take a mentor of one or a mentor of five. If you take a mentor of one, it's some guy who doesn't really know how to teach you anything and he's useless. If you take a mentor of three, oh, hey, you made a guy. He can teach you some skills and he's useful. If you take a mentor of five, he's too busy for you. He doesn't even know who you are. He's not really your mentor. Way too important. Why did you take five in this? Fuck you. This book doesn't really do that. The one thing I noticed in this book is that there's a couple, I'll say there's a couple of weird ones. One of them is uh, you can choose to not have an arm or a leg la- or a hand or a foot. yeah, you can be crippled yeah, you can be crippled and it costs you or you get less points for just missing an entire hand than you do from just taking a minus one to your dexterity stat, which is a little weird, but it's, it's but then again, that's the sort of thing I assume they have fixed in a future edition. and then there was the fun one with the scorpions, which uh one of the scorpion traits is you can have dirt on anyone with a uh, there's a there's a a, a a merit that says you have dirt on people. And scorpions get it for one less. And what that means is, if you take it even as a scorpion at all, you have dirt on everybody in the world that has a glory of one or lower. Everyone, <laughs> every single person in the world. You just go, oh, I got, I got this merit, so I have glory on every single shitty person, uh, shitty Ronan I encounter in every bar ever forever. I, it's which on the one hand that's bad design because you shouldn't know everybody in the world. On the other hand, that's awesome. <laughs> well, it's. <laughs> Yes, it, it's, it's there
2: basically to say, look, scorpions are good at this, and if you're an, if you're
1: you know a nobody, if you don't have the influence to protect yourself, and you meet a scorpion, you should really leave. <laughs> but the problem is, they're like oh yeah, I've got dirt on this dude and he's glory one and it doesn't matter if I have dirt on him because who gives a fuck? Yeah, yeah, you can also, still bully well, him around. It also
2: doesn't matter if he fucking kills you for having dirt on him because yeah, you he's come up, nobody. Exactly,
1: you come up to him and you're like, I know your dirty secret. And he's like,
0: stay. Well, I'm going <laughs> to kill you in this bar. Well, On the <laughs> other hand, for eight points, which isn't that much of an inv- or nine points, which isn't that much of an investment, you can have dirt on the emperor. You can have dirt on the emperor, which is hilarious because he's that's like having dirt on God. <laughs> Like, like, the most important person in the world, you'd be like, you know what? I know about the sheep, dude. I, I know. Of course, <laughs> and, then and again, guards comes... immediately show up. And that well, yeah. that comes back to the exalted thing where you can, the, the game has an option for you to buy something that will just get you killed. Why did you buy that? Yeah. It's 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 fun that it's in there, but but uh, they could have streamlined it by just saying, hey, this caps at Glory 6. You can't know anything about people who are better than you.
2: No, at, at that point, you pretty much just want to, you know, play the scene from The Dark Knight, you know. <laughs> Congratulations, you figured out Bruce Wayne's dark secret, and you want to blackmail him?
0: Yeah. Good luck with that. I mean, honestly, if you build a character who has dirt on the Emperor, you should go ahead and build a retired character. (laughs) Because you can say, instead of having him killed by guards for the first time he tries to call on the Emperor, he could just say, Hey, my character has dirt on the Emperor. Also, he's a local senator, and he lives in a big palace, and he doesn't need to go on adventures. The end.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, you spent eight points and won the game. Try again. (laughs) Good job. Try
0: again. So... Again, like I was saying, this game does have a merits and flaws system, and you know I dump on merits and flaws systems. You do. This one's alright. Most of them suck. This one's alright.
1: Now, I will say this. The one problem here, and it's not just a problem with L5R, it is a problem with merits and flaws systems, and that is any time, merit or flaw, you have something left up to the GM's discretion. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of those
0: in there. There's like, fate... Yeah. Ones. yeah. If,
1: if you're unlucky and it so that's one of them. You can be unlucky. Now the the uh, the storyteller will at some point go, Okay, you've gotta re-roll that successful roll because you're unlucky. Yeah. Now this can be either, you know, oh I try and do this riding maneuver. I succeed. Okay, re-roll it. That wasn't really too bad. Your GM's kind of lowballing and he's just not being a bitch. You're unlucky you fell out of the yeah, saddle and it was true. in front
0: of the girl you like. Oh! Yeah. But the problem the problem being that this is one of those it's a dare to the DM is what this is. It's a it's, dare to the DM to say, "Hey, how, how much this, of a dick are how you much willing to you? be?" Yeah. It, are you going to use this when it matters so that I actually paid these points for a reason? Well then you're a huge dick, Jerry. Yeah, what an <laughs> asshole.
1: Why would you make me do that? Oh. It
0: bothers me. Jerry has been my standard name for uh for the DM whenever you call him out and make him a dick. But I, I believe Brian actually has an old RPG friend named Jerry. So, if you, know. so, so if Jerry ever listens to this, uh, don't worry. Jerry's just my generic name. I don't actually hate you. I don't know who you are. I hate. Um, you and I'm though.
1: still in touch with Jerry. He might actually hear this. <laughs> so,
0: uh, <laughs> if he I really does... thought you were going to say he might actually be an asshole. <laughs> there's a solid chance he's a dick. <laughs> okay, so but there's. I a love com- you, bro.
2: Let's get beer again sometime.
0: <laughs> That's a, there's a couple of those type of issues in this game, which is you take these things. One of, another one is faded, where your character has a great fate, and yeah. it says it says until uh, such time as your fate has happened. You basically get an extra reroll to not die, but you don't know what your fate is, and your DM does, and he doesn't have to tell you, and he doesn't have to tell you when it happens. So you can say, for example, take faded, and then your DM's like, "Well, you're faded to visit a bar. Hey, you did. Hey, your your uh, your ability's gone. The end." Uh, and again, uh, or actually for the first time, this game has <laughs> a bit of a a mean DM streak to it. We've talked about this a couple times. Yeah. Well, and
1: it's not even like the system encourages dm as but much as the book. system talks about yeah there's being a lot of dick.
0: i wanted to put this out there this book contains the phrase double edged sword more than any rpg book i've ever read which is weird cuz katanas have one edge <laughs> but uh to get back to it this book, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why <laughs> it's book, bad yeah this book has a lot of of a particularly crafty dm will and so on, because it encourages the DM to play a little adversarial, or to, or through to a lot of adversarial. <laughs> um, which is, which is alright. You know, there's games that, d- that are built around that. I, I for a long time have said that a fourth edition D&D game that's run with a DM who just fucking hates you is still playable, because the game's got such tight rule structure. And that's, um, that's
1: because in something like that, or a very tactical game, yeah. uh, the, the rules aren't left up to the GM's discretion. Yeah. It, isn't something where the the guy who's in charge can just decide, this is when this happens, and this is how this happens. There are very strict mechanics. When you get into especially more storyteller-based games that are more about narrative, the GM gets more power to decide when and how things happen, which is great to tell a story because now you can decide okay, I can dictate the flow, I can make sure that certain uh elements of surprise can happen or certain plot points go off when they should, but it also has the problem of, if your GM is a dick, he can just decide, no, fuck you, you don't get to do this, or something fucks
0: with your character, or whatever. Traditionally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of anything that gives too much DM discretion. And it's, you know... It's not because I hate DMs or I don't want them to be able to tell effective stories. It's because anytime they write DM discretion stuff into a book, they usually make that feel like it's the baseline. And, of course, the most common example of this is the Wish spell from old 2nd Edition D&D. Yeah. Where where there's Wish, and what's this do? Well, it can do these 7 or 8 different things. If your players try to use this spell, fuck them. (laughs) Yeah, it's, well, it has, like, mechanically,
1: it can do these things, and it always works. Or your player can attempt to do something fun and
0: creative. If your player is fun and creative, fuck with that player. Don't let them have the thing they came up with that's fun and creative. Uh, give them a person named Bill Ding instead of a building. Yeah. If they, if they wish for gold, turn them to gold. If they wish for their enemy to be dead, warp them to the future to a point where their enemy died naturally. Hooray! This Whee. is super fun. Except it's not. Yeah. And, and if you want all
1: of the king's treasure, you appear in
0: the king's treasury. Ah uh-huh, Guards
1: kill you. The end.
0: Yeah. That, that's the kind of problem you encounter when you, when you build adversarial DM stuff into your game is that you publish that stuff you put it in your book and then dms read it and not knowing any better they go well that's how i'm supposed to play i'm supposed to be a huge weird asshole who apparently doesn't have any concept of syntax yeah the problem is when the the writer of the book <laughs> huge in, weird asshole. yeah
1: well it puts <laughs> that into it so you could have say the wish spell yeah and it could go it does these things and have a at the gm's discretion a player can attempt to get something fun or creative outside of these rules now, if you stop right there, it doesn't encourage new DMs or people just reading it to go, oh, I'm supposed to fuck with people.
0: On the but other when you hands. write
1: down, you should fuck with someone if
0: they do this, or the GM can punish a player for his... A particularity. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Every GM in the world thinks that they are a particularly crafty GM. Oh, yeah.
2: Nobody looks at that and goes, well, well not I'm, me. Not, I'm not very crafty. I'm by so. the book. <laughs> no. I think... I do believe in the past I did actually read a published... I think it was even with the wish spell, it ended with, you know, the sentence, and I quote, the DM is encouraged to be fiendish. To that writer, fuck you.
0: Yeah. You are just encouraging bad GMing. You're just saying don't take this spell, because once one player casts the spell once, and they get teleported to to hell or something, and you're like, well... Because you didn't present me a thirty-three page contract with a bunch of stipulations in it, I noticed one loophole in your two-sentence phrasing, and I have sent you to hell. Also, I mean, have I noticed uh, that I get off on being an asshole? Yeah, yeah, it's not worth it. So this book, it, it's not—it doesn't necessarily do that, but it does include the phrase "a particularly crafty" or "a particularly cruel GM" a bunch of times. Because which,
1: which John is, Wick
0: is is that kind of author. I've read a few of his other things, and he. He likes that sort of thing. He likes to to make sure the players know they're the fucking players. And you know
2: what? It's really unnecessary, because the truth is, you can play the rules right out of the book, Me not do it, to hell. and this is, you yeah. will die horribly. <laughs> this is not a game that, you know, looks at damage in an abstract fashion and says, it's cool, we can get into, you know, stab fights with Oni who wielding tree trunks and razor sharp blades, and it's alright, because we'll just sleep it off over the weekend. If you take a bad hit, you lose your fucking arm.
0: Yep, yep. This game is particularly fatal. There's a bunch of games like that that play the kind of... Well, you know what happens when people get hit with swords in history? They fucking die. You (laughs) You very rarely encounter anyone that has taken more than one sword hit. Yeah. And And this game recognizes that and properly...
1: You can try and, you know, if you're particularly hardy and your earth ring is high, Mm -hmm. you can be like, man, I can take like two sword hits and still be on my feet. That shit's insane. Oh, yeah. In now, fact, that that doesn't necessarily...
0: There's even
2: a special technique for Crab Clan Samurai at rank 2, <laughs> where once a day, you can try a fairly difficult earth roll, and if you succeed, you can just ignore a hit. You can just say, meh.
1: <laughs> I shrug <laughs> it off. I don't even yeah, care. Rub and every, some
2: dirt in it. And every time I have ever seen that used, everyone on the table goes, damn, that's good. I wish I could do that.
0: That is real good. <laughs> in a game like this where... You this know, is just like an early exalted where initiative and agility are king. If you and of course that means that you also have to be super smart because in this game you can't have your agility be king unless you are also super smart because that's your fire ring. Uh so that this is one of those glass cannon games, don't let anything hit you. But and- it's got a really interesting caveat to it, which is don't let anything want to hit you. Huh. Yeah. That's the you're, big deal. I and mean, really
2: best off not getting into a fight in the first place. And if you do get into a fight, everything in the setting, everything in the rules <laughs> is really telling you,
0: fight on your terms. Yeah. Don't get in that fight. There's a whole, one of the metafictions in here I really do enjoy, having dumped on them previously. There's one where two characters encounter each other and, uh, ask to see each other's stances and then they display their stances and then one of them apologizes and leaves.
2: Oh yeah, that's, they, that's they look awesome. at each other, they recognize one of them is better than the other, they don't have to actually have it out because they already know how it's going to go and decide, you know what, that's cool, you win,
1: I lose, we respect each other, let's not die today. And I think one of the interesting things with uh, damage in here is we already went over the roll X, keep Y, that applies to damage as well, so if you're using a weapon... And that weapon has only, say, a keep of two. Even if you're like, I'm a huge dude and I've got this big weapon and I hit you and it's a great hit, I will only keep two dice of damage. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't get into that exalted thing where it's like, okay, and I've got 40 dice of damage, and I just make this entire
0: army shit itself in blood and explode. That is a problem. Exalted in particular is a real problem with glass cannon design. Exalted, I, I hopefully they fix this in the third edition. Uh, they really need to get to the point where you can take a hit and <laughs> and, uh, and not have to perfect out of everything and see who has more essence. That's just bad design. This game doesn't necessarily fall into that trap. It's really important not to get hit and not to get into fights, but getting into a fight isn't kind of a... Well, okay, this fight's going to last ten minutes, and then one of us will run out of essence, and the other one will win. Yeah, it doesn't.
1: it doesn't need to be a one-hit kill. You're even without a good Earth Ring. I mean, just a standard samurai is going to have a two. You'll have enough uh, hit boxes to, even with a, you know, decent weapon, you should be able to take a hit. One. And not die. One. Yeah, one hit, one hit. And, and this then game... you should really be looking for an exit.
0: Right, this game has a strong culture of, I've won just because I've won, and not, I've won because I've taken your stuff.
1: Yeah, and it's even then, even if you go to first hit, it's a game where because there's a cap on damage dice kept, you can do a duel to first blood, and that first blood isn't also last blood. Right. Like, you can basically
0: assure
1: that if you are doing a duel to first blood, the other guy will survive
0: that hit. So let me ask Brian this question because I didn't really. I, I read through the book, but it doesn't have a whole lot of stuff about the Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. One of the important things the book imparts on you is don't get in fights with other samurai unless you need to, because they are your equals, and you don't really need to spend your time beating on them because they might kill you. Um, yeah, that does, doesn't happen. <laughs> does it? Does it give you chud enemies like in the Shadowlands? Are there are there like rattlings and little baby demons? And oh yeah, jar- there is goblins. So so you can get out there and because. And, you know, a lot of DMs have realized early on in their DM career that one of the best ways you can keep your players happy is to throw chuds at them. Just here, here's useless bullshit. It might hit you, maybe, but mostly you get to kill them by the tens. So you can describe it and feel awesome.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can do that. Um, it, this, I think, really goes to one of the at the same time is a strength and a weakness. It's a double-edged sword. I <laughs> suppose. Oh, oh, oh my! Oh, 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 oh my! Oh, 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 it's time for me to follow my sword. All right. Um. <laughs> Is, is the setting. Depending on the kind of game you want to run, this, I, more than most games, I would say this game really, the storyteller needs to look at it, talk to his players, and say, okay, guys, what kind of a game are we playing here? Because that's really going to determine not just, you know, what kind of narratives you're going to be telling, what kind of stories, but also what kind of characters you want to create from, from minute one. If you want to play, you know, let's go out into the Shadowlands on a weekly excursion and kill goblins because that's our job. You really should say, alright everybody, come up with characters that have an excuse to be south of the Kyudan Wall. Because
0: most characters, most samurai, never go there. Right, so it's mostly, are you playing as people from various crab families... And maybe one guy who's disgraced enough that he has to stay stay, spend all of his time over there. Or some guy who's, like, trying to
1: prove, like, earn his glory on the wall or whatever. Maybe because, you know,
2: he feels like he hasn't had the opportunity back home. I'm playing unicorn samurai, and I'm trying to impress, you know, some girl back home so that I can get a good marriage for my family, but I can't get a a decent assignment. I can't get a fair shake. I know what I'm going to do. No one seems to give me, you know... any credit i'm gonna volunteer to go down to the wall because they always need more manpower <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm gonna kill a whole bunch of goblins and oni and i'm gonna come back having earned a bunch of glory and be somebody and then actually do something for my clan
0: or more likely you'll die more well, likely you, know.
2: you will die in disgrace and no one
1: will remember you yeah. well that, one of the big things is if you do die in the shadowlands fighting oni, at death. least at least people are like well he died trying to fight against the shadow so good for him but if you die like I died in some duel with a guy who was obviously my better and go and to me into it. you into it, you then, don't want Then, you know, out. everyone's like, what a fucking chode,
2: why did he yeah. do that? Everybody the, uh, tries to forget you, your family's like, we don't talk about him. <sighs>
0: this game has a really interesting concept to it of, of if you die, at least you die with enough glory that the person who was in charge of you will now also take care of your family. So if you're playing a particularly brutal game, you can just keep track of whose families are now great. Oh, uh, (laughs) it
2: goes further than that. There are places in the book where they actually provide advice to storytellers. Yeah, you know, if one of your characters, uh, if one of your player's characters dies in a particularly good way, then, you know, take a look at their glory rating and then their next character can actually, you know, come in and have some connection to them and have some mechanical benefits as a result. That's right, they wrote in a legacy system for not just if, but when your
0: character dies. <laughs> Which is great, that's a great idea. That's oh, it's a so- very
2: practical idea.
0: Yeah, it's the sort of thing that would make a lot of other games more playable. Old Dungeons and Dragons would really benefit from a system of, of oh god, I don't want my cleric to die under any circumstances ever. If, if it was well, your cleric dies and then your god gives his power to some other dude plus some of his own power and yay, you get to come back to the game and it's gonna be fun.
1: You know, you're someone else in the church who's heard the stories of your other character and he finds the mace that you used and now it's been blessed with your power since you're
0: dead and so on. So one of the things we have with this book is we just have the core. We have the core book here. This is a a game that's that had a lot of- I could have
2: given you some supplements. uh, He's
0: got some great splat books for this. (laughs) Uh splat books for this game added some stuff that uh are of controversial import. For example, it added uh Japanese like fox spirits and stuff. Like you can play as hengyokai and and uh and that's yeah, and, and don't do that. Kitsune, all those uh, uh all those sorts of things that are basically just ways to combine your love of anime and being a furry. Now, <laughs>
1: one of the things I will uh haven't talked about really in depth yet that I I'd also like to bring up is the magic system in this. Oh yeah, we haven't talked about it at all. Go so for the it. the Shugenja is the magic user guy. He is your mage. Mm-hmm. And unlike say in, you know, your D&Ds and so on, if you're the magic guy, you don't just get spells that let you
0: win. No, you gotta have a scroll in your hand to cast that spell.
2: Yeah. well, plus the the role of the shugenja isn't your standard, you know, Tolkien-esque wizard, I bellow an incantation and magic happens. The role really is more of a shaman. Magic in the system isn't some arcane force, it's negotiating with elemental spirits to do you favors yeah when you cast a fireball it's not you so.
1: just going and magic happens it's you ask fire spirits to lend you their
0: power that's way more shaman-y way more cleric-y than wizardy. so basically that's where we're at this this is someone who communes with nature and the spirits and does so in an honorable and respectful fashion and gets you know, a, a fireball, gets a fireball. Uh, usually is kind of one of those those worry words for me, because I don't... Again, that comes down to the wish thing. I don't want to be like, well, my character uses his, well, his mechanic, uh, nothing happens, haha, fire spirits hate you. Usually in
2: that most Shugenja are going to go by the prescribed rules, but there are some ways to bend it. Yeah, you, absolutely. You, know, you could be a bully to the spirits, and that's sort of a bad idea. You in the long get, run. You might get the short-term effects that you want, but in the long run, they might start getting a little surly. Uh, also, because... Every Shigen just starts out with three core basic spells, Sense, Commune, and Summon, which are really just, they don't have set effects. Instead, they allow you to fulfill the role of talking to and acting as the bridge between the material world and the spirit world. These three tend to get overlooked, but a creative player
1: can do a lot with them. Absolutely. and And the spells themselves aren't really a lot, like there's not a lot of fireball type spells i oh. mean there is basically a fireball in there but fireballs in there yeah, yeah it's called uh, oh, like wrath there. of
0: Amaterasu yeah. or something but it's yeah. it's
1: one of those things where most of the spells are little effects like you know you can have something like you know i create a ball of light or running
2: through a pool of water
1: you know i i can create some decent like ground for terrain, so, so again we can they're get all
0: somewhere. they're all very elementally. Yeah, the, the and, and really, if you
2: want to play a magic missile mage, L five R is not your game. Uh, that's just you know you can try, but it, it definitely feels forced. Your yeah. if you if you just want to beat the shit out of guys and see big damage numbers go up, do yourself a favor, play a bushi. That's their job is fighting. That's yeah. your profession. Shigenja... Their job is a little different. It can be really satisfying and very flexible and interesting, but you're not going to be running around hucking lightning bolts as a matter of course. You can do that, but it ain't your job. And and
1: the amount of spells you can even cast is limited, again, with void rating.
0: So it's not like you just just sit there. Yeah, Yeah, you're not just going to sit there fucking fireballs all spell day. Spell scrolls in this game are as valuable as, like, honored swords. Mm-hmm. They're very rare, you only have a set number, you don't really get them. It's dishonorable to take them off the people you have recently killed, so it's it's difficult to get your hands on new ones. and, and There are, there are ways. It's not
2: trivial to even just cast a spell either. It's no. not just, I'm going to cast lightning bolt, and then you resolve the effect. It's, I want to try and cast a spell. Alright, well, it's got a casting time that's not trivial, three rounds, do you want to do that faster? Start burning raises, yeah. And then you have to roll just to
0: successfully cast the spell. It's an accomplishment just to get one off. Which doesn't mean that they aren't balanced to Bushi. They 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 yeah. did a pretty good job of keeping them balanced. I mean, I understand where you're probably thinking. Just listening to that is like, well, I remember when casting times existed in Second Edition D and D, and it was, and if you actually played with that rule, it became real bad real fast because it was like, well, my character starts casting fireball, Uh goblin throws a rock at you at the end. Uh, this game ha- actually has a pretty solid balancing mechanic between the two. Another thing I wanted to say about the uh, the shugenja—they're not clerics either. There's no. there's very little in the way of basically natural healing.
1: scholars in this game yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, there's not much in this game outside of natural healing that is healing. There's surgery. You can learn to be a surgeon. Uh, you, you shouldn't because it's a low skill. Well, yeah, you're handling dead flesh. Dead flesh. That's don't don't not touch what that. Good samurai do. Yeah. So, uh, but you can learn to be one. So that that's the only kind of and then there's some generic field dressing first aid type stuff that exists. Yeah, and You know, there are a couple spells of like, this will increase your
1: healing time, yeah. but it's like it all two re- of them. It's all really reinforcing the original idea, which is, don't
2: get hurt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, really don't. Um, now, I, this is my first time reading L5R. Uh, I read it just a couple days ago, getting ready for this, but I was very experienced with the world of Rokugan, which is what this mm-hmm. is said in. Again, that's basically a Japan the size of China. Um... Because I own the 3rd edition Oriental Adventures Dungeons & Dragons book. Racist. Uh... Um, and it has, if for whatever reason, probably because at that point in history, Wizards of the Coast owns owned Legends of yeah, the Five they Rings. they acquired the license. Yeah. So they produced an Oriental Adventures book, which had everything a normal Oriental Adventures book has, and then Rokugan stuff. Which was such a bad idea. It really highlights what makes Rokugan interesting. Because if you read through the Oriental Adventures 3rd edition book, Rokugan stuff is like, well, okay, if you're playing in L5R, you can't have uh, 8 nine, eight out of 10 things in this book. Oh, well, that, that sounds awful. Wow. All the, the fantasy
2: races? No, they're not in here. You can't
0: have those. One, there's Rattlings. So they give you the Rattlings, but other than that, you can't play as the the Koro Bokuru, or the Hengyokai or the Venara, or any of the other races that are in that book. You can't play as any of the classes that are in that book, except for Samurai and Shugenja. And, and uh, what it really does is highlight the difference in philosophy between the games. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons is a game that's defined by a wealth of options. Your character can be anything from anywhere. This game is defined by a dearth of options. It's it's defined by restrictions. How do you make yourself a distinctive character in a world where everyone is basically a samurai? Everyone has the same haircut. Well, everyone who matters. Everyone who matters is a samurai. Everyone has the same haircut. Everyone retires at the same age. How do you achieve distinction? And it's, it's an interesting concept that it did not transfer all that well into oh, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. We were actually having a discussion on the way over here today
1: about um, the mechanics of a game and the aesthetics of the game going together. And when you mm-hmm. try to divest the two, sometimes it can work, sometimes it can't. Mm-hmm. You know, you take something like L5R and you try to put it into D&D's mechanics. It doesn't work. It all falls apart. Yeah. I I'll mean, tell you. In d you know, one of the the primary
2: driving reasons why you play the game, hell, you show up every week going, I've got this longsword plus two. I want to try and get a longsword plus three. Maybe it'll be tonight. You know, you go into dungeons, you kill monsters, you come out with loot. Hooray! In L5R, you don't do that. You start, and you have your grandfather's sword. And if you give that up, why are you giving that up? That's your grandfather's grandfather's
0: sword! sword. They they try real hard to make that work in Dungeons & Dragons. A samurai is basically a fighter in Mm D&D. The, the samurai class in third edition of the Dragons has a feat every three levels instead of every two, like a fighter. And then at first level, what they get instead is an Ancestral Blade. And it has a plus one value equivalent to the level it should and be. And then they can start making ritual
2: sacrifices at to, a shrine yeah, to try and increase, increase the, the plunge, level. Which is really just an obvious kludge to try and make the setting mesh with familiar mechanics
0: when really the two were not meant for each other. I don't know who wrote that book, but apparently they had never heard of multi-classing. Because one of the best ways to play a fighter in 3rd edition is to not. And then the second best way (laughs) to play a fighter in 3rd edition is to play a Samurai 1 fighter the rest of the way. Yep. Because that way you go back to your regular every two levels feat progression and plus you have an awesome magic sword that keeps getting better. Yep. Uh, Of course, you still shouldn't play them because they're still better than anyone who can cast a fucking spell. Yeah. Um, this, the book was really fun. It actually has a really interesting set of prestige classes that are really neat. But every time you read through them, you're like, Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to play one of those. Don't use these in Rokugan settings. Like the, the eunuch mage who could, like, throw needles and have them turn into snakes in midair? Nope, Whoa. sounds like a ninja. Yeah, don't do which that. Which
2: we haven't talked about, but yes, ninja do exist in the game. <laughs> oh, and... God, do they
0: ever, they, they exist, and then every time they mention them in the book, they they, they then go, but they probably don't exist.
2: <laughs> which,
0: which is very clever in the terms of setting a story, like giving you a concept of well, an yeah, element again, of story. it sets tone yeah. well. Nobody
2: actually thinks ninja exist if you ask them in, you know,
1: nice company. You're but like, you... you're at a tea party and someone's like I
0: think I heard something about a ninja oh <laughs> ninjas oh. oh no of course not right but of course they actually exist because it's it's Oh not yeah. only is it a Japan the size of China but it's a Japan that contains a lot of China because if it was just Japan, yeah, there wouldn't be any ninjas. That's not a Japanese thing.
1: Yeah. But and Everybody uh, knows somebody that's been killed by a ninja.
0: Absolutely. Everyone knows one guy who got killed by some ninja sometime.
1: Oh yeah, And, it, and it's always like, yeah, my brother fell off of his horse in a field and there was no one else around. We know it was a ninja. It was ninjas. Or
0: scorpion trigger. <laughs> well, yeah, that's same the same thing. thing right? Well, no, it isn't. That's one of my favorite things about the plot. <laughs> yeah, <board>. it is. <laughs> is. that scorpions, they hire ninjas and they conspire with ninjas and they know some ninjas and maybe they know a guy who's a ninja. But, they're, but not, they're
2: not ninjas. They're not
0: ninjas. That's true. It, it, they're, they're samurai, and I like that about them, that they can, they can also play this whole game of ninja. Well, now you're just being silly. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're down into the last couple minutes of the game, so I want to go down the room and ask each person what their favorite and least favorite thing about the game is. I traditionally start with John, so I am going to do so. John, what is your favorite thing and your least favorite thing about this game?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with my favorite thing... I think I'm going to go with the keep system, uh, almost specifically in damage, but I also do like it in the other uh, aspects of it. When you get into a game, uh, any game really, that has the multiple dice, not just say a d20, but even then where you have multiple additions onto your roll, it gets to a point where, especially in a binary system, you with the pass fail, that it doesn't even matter anymore how many dice you have, or if you've got dice that are, you get X successes and it's just a shitload of damage or way too good to hit that you can't get past it, uh, then it becomes really hard as someone running the game to challenge you, and then you get into this sort of one-upsmanship with your players where... You're trying to be better and they're trying to be better and then eventually someone hits someone and they explode in gore. Mm-hmm. So with the keep system, even if you are rolling 50 million dice for damage. It kind of gates that. Yeah, you, you have this gating mechanic and I like that. Least favorite thing. Least favorite thing. Uh, I'm going to go with the, uh, I don't like the magic system. I'll be honest. As much as it, it does end up being fairly balanced, the, The whole scroll thing and the limited way in which spells work. And there are a lot of spells that are like, you can raise 15 times. What does that do? Not a whole lot. Uh, I feel like the spells, I did look a little bit at some splat book spells. I feel like they started to realize they needed to do more later on, but just main book. That's all we're reviewing. I feel the spell system is a little lackluster. Would you play this game? I would totally play this game. Shit, I would even play this game as a Shugenja using the spell system. I don't like. Uh it's it's very interesting. It's got an interesting setting, but uh, yeah, I think it could use a, a later edition. I'd be interested. Which year the new edition? Off.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, John, uh, John. I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> favorite thing about this game?
1: Oh, um, well, well,
0: you
2: know what? I'm gonna say I, I'm gonna pick something that we didn't touch on, which is the mass combat system. I oh, yeah. actually do have. It's a fairly brief little chapter in the game, but there's a neat little system here to handle big battles in Rokugan, because massive battles, clashes between armies and clans is something that happens on a regular basis, and they they did make an effort to try and handle the question of, when you've got player characters who are personally involved in a battle, how do you do that? And it's a, they offer a framework that is very successful, which is basically, they abstract the battles out into round by round, usually a half dozen mass combat turns. And then each turn, you basically ask each of the players, what's your level of engagement in the battle? In other words, where do you want to be? Are you in the reserves? Are you fighting on the the edges? Or does your character throw himself in where the fighting is thickest? And then there's a nice little chart. It's pretty straightforward. You make a roll. Each character, depending on their battle skill, can kind of control more effectively how they're engaged in combat, and they get outcomes. So, like, if you're heavily engaged, but you're pretty good at it, you can throw yourself into the thick of battle, you know, you take an abstract number of wounds, which represents fatigue and little cuts and nicks, but you also gain glory, more of it, if you throw yourself in there and try to be a hero. You can earn opportunities to duel other heroes in the middle of the battle, or gain, um... You know, heroic opportunities like Break the Lines. I've used it before. I, To be honest, I have both played and run this game in the past. And I've actually pulled this little system out, modified it a little bit, and used it with completely different game systems to do similar things. And it's always been a success. Least favorite thing about this game? I don't think that the core rulebook really... Provides good support for storytellers who want to run the game and are like, okay, I've got players. Everybody loves a different clan. I want an idea of how I can bring these people together. They're basically like, well, they could run imperial magistrates, and I don't know. <laughs> All right, it's it's not. There's not a whole lot of support there for helping people start up a good, successful campaign. It prevents. It pre- provides this really nice mechanical structure the mechanics are robust, the setting is interesting, but if you are new to L5R and you're like, I want to run a game, they really don't give you much.
0: It kind of needs a DMG to go along with yeah. it, kind of, yeah. Would you play this game? I'm, I'm not sure why I'm asking.
2: I have and would, and you know what, fuck it, if, if somebody told me, I'm going to run a first edition L5R game right now, would you want to play? I'd say,
0: hell yeah. Alright. Let's do it. Okay, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say my favorite thing about this game is the combat mechanics. I think they did a really good job of getting across exactly how fighting occurred in that era, which was basically, if you got hit with a katana, it was it impacted your head and you're dead now. And that's that's how that worked. I like that. I like that they got that right and, and still managed to come up with a game that doesn't feel like a joke. Like, it doesn't feel like, well, put your character into the game, they're dead. Put your next character into the game, they're also dead. Uh, it's, it, it, not, it's not paranoia. It's not paranoia, so, so that's nice. Um, I feel like they did a great job there. My least favorite thing about this game, I've already brought up, and it's the kind of broad stereotyping that exists in it. Hmm, there's hmm, hmm. there's ten... I would want to say that clans in this game are basically your race. They're the closest thing in this game to your race. Like, yeah. a lion is very different from a crab, is very different from a, from a unicorn. And to me, they're a little overly stereotyped. Uh, I, I know you can play outside that box and play it right, but the book makes it like, well, if you're a lion, then you're a brash uh, barbarian outsider. And do that, or or you're useless. I, I, I'm not a big fan of that kind of thing. I I feel the same way when I'm playing games that have a race, and it's like, well, elves live in the forest and appreciate sculpture, yeah. and if you play a city elf, what the fuck are you doing?
2: Yeah, they set tone really hard yeah. in, in the core book, and once you can get past that, it, it gets a lot better, but they do sell it hard. They, they do, do, they really do. They do
0: a
1: decent job with the different families to go, some families are a little less stereotypical than the others. Yeah, but those are like then. those are
0: like sub races in this game. That's yeah. like, if you're a wild elf, then maybe you're Matsu. <laughs> maybe you're a lion of the Matsu family. Gotta hope Lion and Matsu are correct. They are. Yay! I, got, I you, got one! You got so many other things wrong, but that one was good. <laughs> Yay! Uh, okay. And then, would I play this game? Sure. I've, I'm the one person here who was not. And uh, and I would I would give this game a try. It seems like a lot of fun. I, I went into it with some serious reservations. I'm not a huge fan. I, I I tend to have a kind of opinion of gamers, and one of the opinions of gamers I run into is that there you'll occasionally encounter about one in ten who is obsessed with glorious nippon, and they they, <laughs> they, they, they want to talk to you about folded steel and katana and how great they are, and they really want to drag that shit into your d anD D game, um, and and uh, I'm not I, I just I generally don't care for that sort of thing. Uh, even though I, I I love watching me some anime and I love l- reading about Japanese history, I really hate nerds who are into those things, huh. specifically huh. into those things. Mm. So, uh, but but this game has won me over. I would play it. It's 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 well designed and uh, it, it does a good job of respectfully treating that setting without making it about how superior it is. Yeah, they did
1: at least do a good job of being like, here's you know, fantasy Japan,
0: but it's not fanboying out about Japan. Yeah. Uh, there's some stuff in there about, uh, about, like, Japanese traditional life at that point. About how, like, marriage was all arrangements mm. and how there were comfort girls and how geisha operated. Uh, of course, the books, I've seen some of the splat books and the geisha art is always sexy chicks and kimonos that are unreasonably tight. But, yeah. um, huh. I, I would have really liked to see them go straight up. What does a 15th century geisha look like? Oh, what? well, they kind of look like a rectangle with blacked out teeth.
2: There, there are some pictures like that elsewhere. So you know they—they're yeah. pretty legit. That, but th- you
0: have to—you have to understand
1: that artists for any RPG oh, yeah. are going to be like, how sexy can I make this lady? Yeah. Can I put boobs
0: on this? Oh yeah,
2: uh, especially I think in the later editions they felt the need to sexy it up for sales.
0: But absolutely. Um, we didn't really get to touch on John Wick all that much. John Wick famously is an adversarial DM of a writer. Uh, he really likes to write characters that have all the secrets and and uh, get to fuck over players. But, you know, the reason we didn't really get to talk about that is because I guess he didn't get started until after first edition L5R uh, core book. Because uh, every every time you go on the internet, just Google that guy and you get all this stuff about how he's a... Goddamn fucking monster that really wants your character, your, play- your players to hate fun and not like you and not I send you Christmas met cards. John Wick, and yeah, he was a
2: nice guy when sure. I, thought, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I you know, I've met I've met Kevin Symbieta and he was a nice guy, but damn, he can't write a book. Oh, I'm sure Wick is a terrible GM, but yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, we didn't get into that because for this book, at least. He's a good guy. He might, Maybe he grew well, up into the Grinch, but no, he started out... I'm pretty out sure
1: re- you, you see the seeds of that with the... Uh, a clever GM, the clever, uh, And then it, this, it this choice just, into the
0: oak tree of This choice is bullshit. a double-edged sword. I'm pretty uh, sure by the time you get to the fifth and sixth black books for the third edition of this, you find a bunch of stuff where, like, well, this choice could be taken by a player, but it's a quintuple-edged sword. <laughs>
2: well, there's a whole <laughs> section in, that we didn't touch on in the back that's, like, major NPCs, and they're basically all people who are more important than you ever will be. Oh, yeah,
0: and a lot of them break the rules for, like... There's a lot of uh, famous NPCs from this this game. They're like clearly had five uh, uh, stats of five at the start, and it's because they're people of note and they need to be important. They've got
2: special rules, and Special special (laughs) special dispensation. But players,
0: but players hate special specialness. They don't want to know that Elminster started with with an eighteen and everything. They hate him now because it's like, well, fuck you. How come you didn't have to follow these same bullshit rules? I don't want to. So, honestly, the best way to handle that
2: section, and for that matter, all of the special specialness NPCs in this entire setting... Excise ignore them. Ignore them. Yeah, yeah. They're they're all operating at the highest levels of the clans. You'll never talk with
0: them. And really, that's fine. You don't need to deal with them. Wick likes to put them in there because he thinks it may be fun to have them. You know what? DMPCs in general... Are just a terrible idea. If you have a guy who shows up with your party and he's like, Hey guys, I know how to get through this dungeon. I will walk you through. Also, my sword does more damage than yours. You know like, what? oh, don't put that character in yeah. there. Why, why did you do that?
2: Yeah. And honestly, in this setting, it's not too hard to avoid that. Because you can just look at them and go, Yeah, he's the champion of the clan. Yeah, he's way cooler than more awesome than you ever will be. You know what he's doing? Pushing pencils.
0: Champion stuff. He's not be- you. No, he's running the clan. Yeah, He doesn't even get to go outside most of the time. Okay, so... We've hit about an hour plus. This is an interesting game. We've talked about it a little longer than normal. We all agree we'd play this one. We all agree we have stuff we really like about it. I'm going to go ahead and give this one a solid recommend. You can play this game and not have a terrible time. Uh, tune in in a couple of weeks. We're going to try and review Cinnabar. Oh, I'm sorry, John. Uh, I, why do you hate me? <laughs> Don't worry, at least Brian gets to dodge Cinnabar. Although, I'll, I'll loan it to you if you want to read it. Good luck, guys. Yeah, Cinnabar is basically riffs except written by a slightly smugger person. <laughs> He's the kind of guy who owns more than one short sword. Uh,
1: oh, no. Uh, that kind of
0: guy. Raven C.S. McCracken is the famous author of, of uh, Cinnabar, which is, again, it's a sci-fi post-apocalypse set on a Dyson sphere because he had just heard of those. <laughs> you can play as a raccoon with a bazooka. Uh, it's, 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 it's gonna be a real good one. We're gonna get right back into the hate that you guys crave. <laughs> so, uh, we, again, this is System Mastery. You can find us at SystemMastery at gmail.com, SystemMasteryPodcast.com. We are System Mastery on Twitter as well. So, uh, from all of us at System Mastery, thank you very much, and we will see you in a couple of weeks.